The Earth Wants You is a project of The Church of Stop Shopping, a radical performance community based in New York City. We rely on you. Please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. If you want to support our work, and what is our work? We resist consumerism. We resist the military. We resist the commodification of the Earth and her resources. Earthaluya people, join us. RevBilly.com. Earthaluya. Children, Earthaluya. It's the Earth Wants You. A new podcast radio show extravaganza coming to you from the Church of Stop Shopping. I'm your host, Reverend Billy, with your host, Savitri Dean. Good morning. Crushing the patriarchy today. That's our that's our theme. Inviting Big Daddy to go to the door and leave. Amen. Did the did the did Big Daddy leave? I think that was Big Daddy leaving. Did you hear it? Amen. What do we got today in this show, Savitri? What what do we got going on? Well, the interesting thing is, when the patriarchy leaves the room, there is this wonderful, uh, liberating. Uh, it feels like a vacuum at first. It feels like it's the natural world. It feels coming like back. you're being sucked into a vortex, but then you're like, I'm being sucked into a vortex of imaginative. Liberation. Ecosystems, it's it's hallucinating yeah. mushrooms, it's 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 a world, uh, cougars, a world. And, and there are no obstacles, snakes, there's no blocks, there's no walls, the wetlands, the, the patriarch is up. gone, the door has closed, and now there of, are no doors. A new kind of heron is flying through but my see, mind. That raises the question if yeah. the patriarch leaves and closes the door, and then there are no doors, how will the patriarch get back in? <gasps> But he likes to never. Uh, the patriarch will never return because the very door he left through back. is Hashtag, now Hashtag, you're gone. Closed Hashtag, forever. out of here. Hashtag, <laughs> no big daddy. Hashtag, no, he's, he's gone. Oh, but gone. who's going to come over and get the snake out of my living room? We can, we can take him to, we can drop him from a helicopter in central Vermont. Oh, right into no, a but that ladder heap. is so high. I can't possibly climb it on my own. I'm a daddy. Wait a minute. The air I'm is so thin up here. What to do? Let's take this all back. Praise be. I, I, I hope that I'm the exception. I, I, I'm what I'd like to apply to be the exception. I, Seriously, I, listen, I, Billy, dad. I want to talk a little bit about radical institutions because, you know, we badmouth institutions a lot around here, you know, as anti-capitalists. There are simply no big institutions anywhere that are not corrupt at this you, time. So why not badmouth them? I mean, Because there are some institutions that are doing the work. And I want to just raise one up today. Judson three. Memorial Church in downtown New York City on the edge of Washington Square Park, which has long led the way, a real vanguard kind of place. Uh, they Judson. have removed the ankle bracelet of an undocumented human, a, a monitoring device that keeps that person in, in very close contact with ICE and the immigration ICE, the, services. The government um, the immigration when crush, you wear one of these monitors you have to actually plug in every night to charge it you have to sit with your leg plugged into the wall to charge it that's sick that's sick and get this so that the government this is sick. can track you this is sick and you have to pay to rent it so some of these people pay as much as four hundred dollars a month to pay for the ankle what kind bracelet. of rent is that you know paying paying for a an ankle monitor so the government can follow you around. I can tell you, when I heard this, uh, the anger that p- 
course through my body. I thought, I need to bottle this anger and I need to use it to radical purpose. That's what you're doing here on this right? radio show, Savitri D. You're, you're bottling Listeners, your anger and releasing it on an unsuspecting public. Us. It's up to all of us, citizens of the United States of America, to change this. This is on us, okay? These people with their leg plugged in the wall, this is on us. Amen. This is work we have to do. It's Amen. DACA. It's also the 600,000 undocumented people in New York City mm. and the millions across the country fighting for their lives. It's and it's Liberty. up to us. It's, it's the idea we of our them. community. It's why, why we have fought, why we have made peace. It's at the basis of our identity as Americans. Freedom, freedom, freedom. Hallelujah. There you go. Praise be. Let's go to the earth. Earthaluia, I think it's time to get the report on what's going on. News from the natural world. It's Hello, welcome to News from the Natural World. I'm Savitri D. The world's oldest algae fossils are a billion years old, according to a new analysis by Earth scientists. Based on this finding, the researchers also estimate that the basis for photosynthesis in today's plants was set in place 1.25 billion years ago. Other researchers have confirmed that microscopic fossils discovered in a nearly 3.5 billion year old piece of rock in Western Australia are the oldest fossils ever found, and indeed the earliest direct evidence of life on Earth, 3.5 billion years old. Yeah. Lyme bacteria can survive a 28-day course of antibiotic treatment for months following infection by tick bite. That's four months. According to a new study using a primate model for the disease, despite testing negative for Lyme disease, some subjects were infected with Lyme bacteria in heart, brain, and other organs. Hmm. By embedding nanoparticles into the leaves of watercress, engineers have induced the plant to give off dim light for nearly four hours. They believe engineered plants will one day be bright enough to ask, act as desk lamps or street lights. But do the plants want to do this? <laughs> you this want a bioengineered street light. It's a plant and a street light. Climate change will drive a huge increase in the number of migrants seeking asylum in Europe if current trends continue. Yes, that's in the department of very obvious, and I'll go on. The number of migrants attempting to settle in Europe each year will triple by the end of the century based on current climate trends alone, independent of other political and economic factors. Even if efforts to curb global warming are successful, the number of applications for asylum could rise by a quarter. Warming of 2.6 to 4.8 degrees Celsius, which climate no. experts say is likely unless stronger action is taken to bring down greenhouse gas emissions, would result in as many as 660,000 additional asylum seekers coming to Europe each year by 2100. Well, no borders, no walls, people. Amen. By 2100, 84% of the world's estimated 10.8 billion people will live in cities. That means noise pollution will bloom in those areas and beyond, in surrounding suburbs and rural space that were typically safe havens from the clamor of the city. Urban sprawl will get worse, encompassing quieter areas into the thick sounds of city life. Noise pollution can wreak havoc on human health and safety. High noise levels can exacerbate hypertension, cause insomnia or sleep dis disturbances, result in hearing loss, and worsen a plethora of other medical conditions. 
All of these problems can aggravate other health issues by inducing higher levels of stress, which can cascade into worsened immune systems, heart problems, increased anxiety and depression. People, it's getting loud out there. What about the effect on animal life and plant life? That's happening today, the whales under, under the water. Between 10,000 and 100,000 microorganisms live on each single grain of sand. What? Yep. Say that again, please. Between 10,000 and 100,000 microorganisms live on each single grain of sand. This means that an individual grain of sand can have twice as many residents as the city of Fairbanks, Alaska. <laughs> An international team of scientists have discovered the greatest absence of evolution ever reported. A type of deep sea microorganism that appears not to have evolved over more than two billion years. Researchers say that the organism's lack of evolution actually supports the theory of evolution. The rule of biology is not to evolve unless the physical or biological environment changes. This is like my ex-roommate. The environment in which no, these microorganisms live has remained essentially unchanged for three billion years. Hmm. These microorganisms are well adapted to their simple, very stable physical and biological environment. Fish sense water motion the same way humans sense sound little tiny hairs the same hairs that we have in our ears are on the surface of a fish and sense whether the water is moving forward or back and this Sounds is one of the ways fish read currents a study is the first planetary level look at human Reproduction as it human reproduction as it relates to people's mood. You have a problem with that word? Sorry, let me start over. A study. Don't be nervous. A new study is the first planetary level look at human reproduction as it relates to people's moods and interest in sex online. The study draws upon data from nearly 130 countries and includes sex-related Google search terms from 2004 to 2014 and 10% of public Twitter posts from late 2010 to early 2014 a lot of data. The analysis revealed that interest in sex peaks significantly during major cultural or religious celebrations based upon a greater use of the word sex or other sexual terms in web searches. These peaks broadly corresponded to an increase in births nine months later in countries with available birth rate data. To, under, to understand the higher interest in sex during holidays, the researchers <laughs> To understand the <laughs> making you nervous, making me nervous. <laughs> to understand the higher interest in sex during holidays, the researchers also these are the holidays also conducted a sophisticated review of word choices in Twitter posts, known as sentiment analysis. This is what I was getting to: sentiment analysis, to reveal that collectively people appear to feel happier, safer, and calmer during the holidays. This is counterintuitive. They appear to be happier, safer, and calmer during the holidays. When these collective moods appear on other occasions throughout the year, the analysis also found a corresponding increase in online interest in sex. So when we feel happier, safer, and calmer, we want more sex. Now this seems obvious, but it doesn't seem obvious that this would be how we feel during holidays, I wanna tell you. And lastly, I wanna just share with you some recommendations from 15,364 scientists from 184 countries who made a warning cry to humanity this week that the Earth's biosphere is on the brink of collapse. But they say 
all is not lost if political leaders take urgent steps to stave off disaster. Among the 13 recommendations, five call for specific actions to protect nature. One, increase financing for nature reserves. Two, stop the destruction of forests, grasslands, and other native habitats. Three, large-scale restoration of native plant communities, especially forests. Four, rewilding, rewilding regions with native species, especially apex predators. Five, restore large-scale endemic plants, in particular forests, tackle poaching, and stop the trafficking of threatened species. You're really persevering there through the news. You've got ducks quacking and grizzly bears. You've got, you've got red-tailed hawks screaming. And and uh, uh, you've got me interrupting you. I'm sorry. I'm really trying for some positive, yeah, trying to get happy the, news during the holidays here. But it's hard to find positive, happy news about the environment, I must say. Well, the... the um, Let's take that last item, the five very obvious, um, you know, nature reserves uh, protect um, certain species. Um, the uh, going to the results, going to the results of the ability to create these reserves and so forth. Uh, there's a huge, the scientists once again are blowing it. They're just saying, we have to do this to get that. And they don't think that culture matters. Oh, no. They don't the think other... that getting to this point matters. Well, this is only five of 13. I mean, the other 13, the other eight are mostly economic and, and relate to the distribution and all kinds of things. But what about just the fact that capitalism is doing this to us? I mean... Yeah, that's definitely not they explicitly work at stated. They work in capitalist settings, most of them, and, and they, they don't have the ability to uh, to really say it like it is. So who says it like it is? Mm. You and me on this podcast. Who else? We, um. we've, got to, we've got to learn how to uh, retake re public space. Uh, we've got to find new ways to, to excite that conscience that still exists in people. Still, they, I think it's valuable wanna... to just lay it out like this. I think it's really valuable to hear these words. Increase financing for nat nature reserves. Stop the destruction of forests. You know, the, these, I mean, we know this, but just to hear them plainly and understand like, in, the, in the world of a thousand issues every day, in the world of like, I'm totally overwhelmed. I'm so anxious. I'm going to die from what's happening all around me, socially, environmentally, everything. It is, to me, valuable just to say like look do these things yes but you, you use that phrase hear hear this every day you, you, you said it's here hear this hear these five points and the question is do we hear there are many ways that we hear right now there are 800 ways to hear because we we are you know we have you know our ears in cans all day we have little white ribbons coming into our into our wires coming into our heads 
don't look at me like I'm crazy. You're looking at me like I'm nuts. Sometimes I'm my your mind, I just, here. I literalize something. So he said, your ears and cans. And all I could think of was a can full of ears. That's a hip way of saying headphones. <laughs> I know, but I, I. Julian Sunderman, engineer way, figure. You know that. <laughs> Confirmed. Yeah. Listen, I'm sorry. It's just the way my mind works. I saw an, an ear full of cans. You've got to keep can, me reaffirmed. You've a can We're in opposition here about, mm-hmm. the, about this particular mm-hmm. point. You've got to, you've got to. You've got to like your co-host but enough. To- listen, it's funny. I, I actually I saw it was like a generic can, and it was white and black, and it said ears, and it was a can. It was sitting on the shelf, you know? <laughs> I mean, that's just how my mind it's works. Campbell Soup. No, it, it said ears. Jean-Michel Basquiat and Andy Warhol. <laughs> actually, then I thought about Repo Man, and I was on a whole other... No, I think that I think that the, the, uh, the information age presents... Um, the cultural workers in earth justice, in environmentalism, with, with a tremendous riddle. Mm. They're, they're how people hear, uh, really hear that tiger's roar that we have in our, mm-hmm. at the top of our show. Yeah. How they hear that, how, how the natural world breaks through the, the facility to change and layer text and imagery. Right well, now. one challenge in particular, I, I think it's a, it's a very emotional response for most of us. We care intensely and we feel passionate about the earth and the animals of the earth. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, that emotion will not carry you through day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year of, of dedicated activist living. The emotions ebb and flow and sometimes you're exhausted by the emotions. So Tell what replaces it. that? You know, what is the fuel that isn't sentimental, that isn't emotional, that is trustworthy and sustainable? What fuel can we put in our bodies and our minds and our souls and in our communities so that we can do this? And I, I have always thought it's about community because when I'm tired, you're not tired. When he's tired, I'm not tired. Right. And so then we carry each other the through human, those times. The human ecosystem. But you got to fire the patriarch and you've got to really touch. We have to touch each other. We have to, we have to get through the 800 layers of, of, of information simulation and reality simulation we have to we have to really be with each other. A community right. that stand we're we're standing on the corner together. We're walking through the right. forest together. We're making love. We're it right. has to be And the additional challenge the body. is that that has to include those people who right now are are forced to plug their leg into the wall at night, right? So their liberation is part of that process. Well, and the people I think that plug, you know, the, the, the people that pl- I'm sorry, I interrupted you. No, it's fine. Well, the people that the people that illegal aliens that are now Well, we don't call them that. Um, the undocumented humans. The undocumented human beings that must plug their leg into the wall and keep keep the government watching them. Um, that really sounds like like consumerism. It, it, it's what happens to all of us on some level, and that one that is one reason that that we really need to to gather to to be powerful with um, how ICE and and the white supremacists and the fascists are treating these people, our brothers and sisters, is because we're all being treated that way on some level. And, and, and that's coming. They're just, they got picked off. They, they, they were vulnerable, politically vulnerable. Hmm. They were called rapists and criminals by, by our current president. So, but, but make, make no mistake, consumers, I just, I just refer people that need this kind of reference, I, I, I refer you to the Truman story. I refer, I refer you to the Matrix. Or you, you, you have a favorite sci-fi uh, 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 novel that, exa- that 
that describes extreme capture, ex- indentured servitude mm. to the market, to corporations, mm. to governments. Right. And, and that is where it is going right now. Mm. Less and less freedom. Freedom, mm. freedom defined as purchasing products. Mm-hmm. I wrote a poem in the 90s that goes like this. Chipping away. Chip. 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 Now I'd like to turn to a beautiful song. So some music here. From Spain. Senor Veloso. Dicen que por las noches no más se le iba en puro llorar. Dicen que no comía, no más se le iba en puro tomar. Juran que el mismo cielo se estremecía al oír su llanto. Como sufría por ella, que hasta en su muerte la fue llamando.
Michael Stephen Smith, are you there? I am here in the studio with you, Reverend uh, Billy. Amen. Savitsky. Turn your speakerphone off, please. That that sets up bad echo. Oh. Michael. Hello. <laughs> We're here today with Michael Smith, co-host of the radio here, program Law here. and Disorder, a longtime advocate for all kinds of social justice here in New York City, and we welcome him to the studio today. Well, I'm happy to be here in your tiny studio. It reminds me of a crack that Groucho Marx once made about you have to go outside to change your mind. <laughs> <laughs> We, we've changed our mind right here inside. I liked it. When you said it reminds me of a crack, I was like, exactly. We're in the crack. We're in it. <laughs> You're here in person. Our podcast has never had a guest in person. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, Michael Stephen Smith. May I call you Dr. Smith? Uh, never. You, you have your PhD, I understand. I have a Juris Doctor. <laughs> a JD. Yes. That's different than a GD. A JD. Um, we, a JD is a goddamn. <laughs> a goddamn jurist degree. So we, we, uh, um, 9-11 is, is this semi-magical, very tragic, deeply tragic uh, uh, New York event, worldwide event, uh, impacted all of us uh, uh, in many different ways, taking friends from us, taking neighbors from us. Um, changing our, really our government and our culture. Um, uh, Rudy Giuliani was our mayor at that time. I'm, I'm, I'm. I know that you're. You've become involved again. You never stop being involved. But it's it's well, the again part is that you're bringing this back to those of us who may have found a way to forget about 9/11 finally and to. Uh, Maybe we think we did. Maybe we thought we moved on with our lives, but it's still ever present. Can you tell us about your current project? Uh, sure. Well, you know, 9-11 was a turning point in history. Uh, still turning. Uh, uh, the wars that came out of it are still going on. Um, I lived across the street from the uh, uh, two towers. If the southern tower would have fallen over on its side rather than fallen over inside of itself as it did. But if it had toppled over, it would have hit my building. And I was supposed to be at the restaurant on top of the Northern Tower, Windows on the World, for breakfast that morning. I was supposed to meet my friend uh, John at, at uh, 8 o'clock. The plane slammed into it at 8.40. But John called me up right before, and he said that he had a meeting and he had to cancel breakfast. So I asked my wife if uh, she was interested in going up there for breakfast with me. And she said, ah, it's really a lot to do. And I said, you're right. you know. So we were laying in bed when the plane flew over our building. You could actually see the underside of the plane uh, from our bedroom window. Mm. <laughs> and it would crash, you know. Oh so, so I got dressed. Debbie said, go see what happened. And I went out there and I came back and I reported that uh, a small plane must have hit the building. So I came back went back to bed, and then crash again, you know. Mm. So Debbie said, I think we're being bombed. And uh, we both got dressed and went back out to check out what was happening. And the second building that was hit fell over first. Mm -hmm. And as it was falling down, everybody was screaming, and we all ran back into my building. And the sky turned black mm. from all the ashes and the dust. And then it cleared, and then the second building fell over. Mm -hmm. The sky turned black again. Mm -hmm. And cleared up, and 
So we thought, we should get the hell out of here. And uh, we went down to see if we could get our car out of the garage. But the electricity, the generator for electricity was located in the basement of one of the World Trades. And it was knocked out. So you, there was no electricity in Battery Park City. So what, We what couldn't get do? our car out. So we were there at home. Uh, with our, We had a 16-pound cat named Mo and a talking parrot named Charlie Parker. And the two of us, all four of us, and we were stuck there. So we stayed all morning and all afternoon. We stayed over the evening. There was no water. There was no gas. There was no telephone. And uh, most of the people in our building left. There was one uh, jazz musician, bass player, who was blind. And so he couldn't get out. So it was us and him. And we stayed till the next day, and the cops came and told us we really had to get out of there. Mm. So Mo was too big to carry easily. So we abandoned the cat, and we put Charlie in his travel cage. We started walking up to uh, Michael Ratner and Karen Renucci, lived in a house in the village, and we thought maybe we could sleep over there. So we started walking up from Battery Park City to the village with the bird in the cage, and Charlie's telling everybody along the way, it's okay, it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Um, But obviously it wasn't okay. Uh, Charlie's a a gigantic macaw? No, what? what? No, he's an African gray parrot. An African gray parrot. That's why my son named him Charlie Parker. He's a bird. Oh, yes. So uh, uh, Charlie got sick. Uh, he got avian respiratory disease from the schmutz in the air that was toxic uh, at yeah. those that ash, and uh, we took him over to the animal medical center, where they uh, uh, took him in. They put an IV uh, into him, and uh, the next day the doctor called us up, and Debbie said, "How is he?" And uh, the doctor said, "Well, he must be getting better because he just bit my assistant." <laughs> <laughs> That's a sign of health in parrots. Yeah, so. Uh, we we brought him home, and our office was just on the other side of the World Trade Center. We had a law practice at the time, and uh, uh, we couldn't get into the building. The building was closed down. It was contaminated for a year, and we didn't know what to do. Uh, so finally, Ramsey Clark lent us a, a kind of a, a push cart. We put all of our files on it, and we pushed them over to our living room. So for another year, we practiced law out of our living room. Mm. Me, Debbie... And Charlie, so wow. so, and it was awful because Charlie, you know, he talks so much. Well, you've been over, Billy. Yeah. You know, uh, the bird is just uh, vocal. So one one afternoon, Debbie was on the phone with an insurance adjuster, because that's what we used to do. We used to sue insurance companies, and she's trying to settle a case with this guy. And the guy was really obstreperous and difficult and obnoxious and really mean. And Charlie loves Debbie. Uh, protective and uh, he's listening and he's getting more and more agitated he's walking back and forth on his perch back and forth back and forth and he finally can't contain himself any longer and he yells out in my tone of voice he yells out i'm gonna kick your ass (laughs) so so the guy says what and, and Debbie says, I got nothing more I want to say to you. And she hung up the phone. How do you explain it? You know, um, but that was what it was like uh, for a year. Uh, our cat died uh, from it. And you both got and, sick. Right? And uh, I got sick. I couldn't swallow. Evidently, the uh, toxins had killed the nerves in my esophagus. And swallowing is like peristalsis, mm-hmm. like a snake. You know, the uh-huh. muscles are triggered and they force things down. So I had to have a procedure where they opened up the distal end of my esophagus. Mm. And now I swallow by just drinking a lot of water. So uh, I heard that there was a, a fund for victims. 
And uh, I didn't want to do the paperwork, and I didn't even want to think about it anymore. But finally, a friend of mine pressured me, and, and I looked online. I got a lawyer, and I called her up, and I said, from uh, the toxins in the air after 9-11, I can't swallow. And she says, well, that's not on the list. And then she, <laughs> and then she, she asked me, hopefully, she said, you didn't get cancer, did you? Oh, wow. And I said, as a matter of fact, uh, uh, 10 years later, I got prostate cancer. And she said, that's on the list. So oh, I my said, God. Well, but that's said, when you lived in Brooklyn, later, right? You, you I moved, moved to Brooklyn by, I had, I had by moved, that time? I had moved to Brooklyn by that time. Uh-huh. But I, was, I, I lived there for 15 years uh, afterwards. So, uh, so I signed up to get compensated. Uh, uh, and uh, by return mail, I got a second retainer. Turns out that 6,500 survivors, widows, orphans, uh, people like me who got sick from it, uh, are in a class action against the government of Saudi Arabia. And uh, I know you want to talk about that, but but in fact... Let's flash forward it, to it, the Jersey it, Girls. It, it was the government of Saudi Arabia, elements of the government and their agents that uh, provided financial and operational support and were behind the attacks on 9-11. They're the ones that changed world history. Mm-hmm. Now, when in the sequence of... of Investigations through the years did did was it really established that elements inside the Saudi Arabia government were well? It came out fairly quickly, uh, despite the uh, uh, attempts of the United States government, uh, the administrations of Bush and uh, Obama to suppress it. Uh, it came out fairly quickly. The head of the Joint Intelligence Commission was this very brave. A wonderful man named Bob Graham, who was the senator from Florida, and he was the co-chair of the investigating committee, and he knew what happened. Uh, They issued a report, and 28 pages of the report were suppressed. Mm. Graham forced them, when they published the report, to publish 28 blank pages. Well, those those pages have now been uh, released. Um, There was an investigator for the FBI. Uh, named Mike Jacobson, who established a lot of the facts that show the Saudi involvement. Uh, He went down to San Diego because one of the FBI informers was also an agent for the Saudi government. And this guy had contact with two of the hijackers. You know, 15 of the 19 hijackers were Saudi Arabians. That should have been the first clue. uh, George Bush chartered a plane to fly all the Saudi government officials out of Washington back to uh, Saudi Arabia. That should have been the second clue. Uh, and Mike Jacobson discovered all this information in San Diego. So you, think Bush, how, you think Bush knew? Well, I th- yeah, I think he su- certainly suspected. I mean, they did everything they could to cover up the investigation into Saudi Arabia. Well, the Saudi government is is a far-flung family. 5,000 people. And so somebody could have called Bush and said, you know what, I think my cousin, I think my cousin was involved. And I, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, it's, it's, it's not like a regular government. That no, has- it's, a mo- it's, it's a monarchy with all these rich hangers on. And they're, right. they're one and the same. They're the monarchy. They're the government. Right. Uh, they're the ruling elite. Uh, and elements uh, of, of these people were the ones responsible. Uh, Osama bin Laden was, of course, Saudi Arabian. He was from a very wealthy construction family. Uh-huh. Uh, he, he was interviewed. He, asked, uh, he was asked, why, why did you do this? 
And uh, his answer was always covered up, but he said for three reasons. He said one is uh, because uh, of what the United States does in support of the Israeli oppression of Palestinians. Secondly, the United States government has military bases next to the two most holy sites in the Muslim world, Mecca and Medina. And third, the United States government imposed sanctions on Iraq, which caused the death of 500,000 children. and he said, that's, that's why I did it. But the United States was very much interested in getting Iraq involved. Mm-hmm. And so the interrogators at Guantanamo, our offshore prison site, were instructed to get information from these prisoners, and they used torture to do it, that there was a connection with Iraq. And one such tortured prisoner said there was a connection with Iraq, and that they they use that uh, as their as rationale. their narrative they built that narrative uh, yeah. of Saddam Hussein but Senator uh, Bob Graham realized right away that this elaborate uh, uh, plot had to be supported by some kind of a state it took too much money it took too much coordination it couldn't have been just a you know handful of guys that came here and did this right. uh, and he knew it was a state and then uh, the United States government tried to blame it on the state of Iraq Iraq had nothing to do with it well I think like yourself you know Billy and I were watching as those buildings fell and, and we weren't as close as you were so I think we, we had physical uh, safety on our side so I, I remember that all we were talking about on a rooftop in Brooklyn with people from all over the world was the wars that were about to start and those wars as you said are ongoing and what do you think about that I mean when you watch like having been involved so closely in this and like knowing so much about it when you look across those oceans and see American involvement in those nations persists to this day why isn't there a peace movement today why is there no citizen re- well not no but why is there so little citizen response to those ongoing wars 16 years we've been at war Afghanistan Iraq Yemen you know Somalia. all over Somalia. the Libya, African Libya. Con- Libya. Libya I mean why uh, why do we allow this in this country? Yeah, six different uh, countries uh, well I was active in the anti-Vietnam war movement um, and I think it's helpful to contrast what we did then to what is not happening now. Uh, During Vietnam, there was a draft. So civilians were actually picked out of the population and forced to go over there. Uh, And uh, uh, the uh, government was very smart in, after the Vietnam War, abolishing the draft. So now you have two things. You have uh, uh, people that joined the army out of poverty, really, Yes, and then you have private armies, uh, Eric Prince and mm-hmm. and academia. Blackwater, Blackwater, Blackwater changed its name. He's now proposed to Trump that uh, he be the army, yeah. um, and and I think the second reason is that there, you don't have the kind of uh, media coverage. The media, as restrictive as it was then, is even worse now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the the public is less informed now uh, than it used to be. Uh, I think also the, the, uh, there was real leadership during the anti-Vietnam War movement. Um, there were radical pacifists. Uh, there were people in the Communist Party. There were people in the Socialist Workers Party. Uh, there were organizations on campus, the Student Mobilization Committee. Uh, there were national conventions. Uh, we didn't just summon people to a demonstration by clicking a button on, on the iPhone. Uh, we met 
locally and then regionally and then nationally. And we had delegated conventions and we would hash out the issues. What should we do? What should the slogans be? Um, and so there was a real movement that was built by person-to-person contact. You don't have that anymore either. Um, so should we go to the case that you're representing? The well, sure. So-called Jersey Girls. Sure. Well, the Jersey Girls are amazing because they became experts both legally and factually on what happened. And they were the core of the lobby that got the law changed because uh, prior to uh, today, you, a citizen like me just couldn't sue a foreign government. Uh, and they, they got the law changed uh, so that uh, the uh, f- sovereign immunity law was obviated, and it went up to uh, 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 Obama, who vetoed it. So it had to come back to Congress, and none of the uh, uh, senators wanted to be seen as opposing these widows and orphans. So it, the veto was overrun by a vote of 97 to 1. And this was the lobbying efforts of, of these uh, New Jersey women who were called, I don't like the term, but they were called the Jersey Girls. They're just these amazing women. So this enabled, there was a bunch of lawsuits going on, the insurance companies, the uh, victims, the survivors. The, all these lawsuits were consolidated, and they were allowed to go forward in the form of one lawsuit that will either be tried or settled next year. Um, and... What's interesting is that the Saudi Arabian government, which used to be awash in money from its oil, is now in trouble because they're spending $200 million a day on the war in Yemen. So they're even talking about selling their oil company, Aramco. Um, And they're looking at a trial that could cost them. And what this would do, according to the Jersey girls, to bring uh, back... uh, full circle the answer to your question the jersey girls understand that if they can choke off the money from saudi arabia they can choke off that country's supporting al-qaeda and uh, uh the wahhabi mosque that they've set up the most extreme form of uh, uh, radical crazy islam they can choke that off around the world so this will have a real po- uh, political effect wow. if we win that's this so lesson. impressive that's so impressive what personally is your now you you you're retired from the law and and yet not retired at all. You're you're. Uh, I'm repurposed. You know, you're I've repurposed, and you radio have show Charlie disorder. Parker on your shoulder, and uh, you you have a uh, famous uh, radio show podcast called What is it? Law and Disorder. Yeah, lawanddisorder.org. Lawanddisorder.org. And we heard you. You know the kinds of names you're mentioning there, just in passing, Ramsey Clark and Michael Ratner. We know that you're a a uh, very involved uh, civil liberties, um, a giant among among us mortals, and we we have um, counted on people like you to protect us. Yes, we thank you for we're your pr- lifetime we're protesters. of work. We're in we're in trouble all the time. We've we've had. Well, we've, I you know I you're, you're, you're really inflating my my importance, but I I have to say, Billy, that one of my most uh, wonderful clients ever was you. Oh, uh, and, and, and I don't know if you remember, this was years ago. You were putting uh, uh, tape recordings behind stuffed animals in the Walt Disney store, and and the and these tape recordings would yell at people, "You from Toledo, <laughs> you you from Phoenix, go home, don't buy this junk," and you got busted for it. Yes, I and did, you came yeah. to me, and and I got help from my friend Margaret Ratner Kunstler because I didn't know much about criminal law, and uh, Margaret got you off. So that's when I first met you. It was years ago. Maggie uh, got me out of there. Yes, we used to we used to put all kinds of uh, uh, recordings uh, beneath the Mickey Mouse sweatshirts and stuff, and 
We would have we would have uh, recordings of sweatshop workers, real actual sweatshop workers from Indian, Indonesia and Tanzania and Haiti and and uh, we just wanted we wanted a, a uh, the people's conscience just to get whiplashed, you know, by by the voices in the products. The reality. Hallelujah. Michael, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. Well, Thank you, Savitri. Thank you, Billy. Uh, uh, keep up your good work. It's wonderful to uh, for all of us to be part of this movement. We're like we were talking before. We're little red moles burrowing under the ground, waiting for the tipping point. Well, the, the, the tipping point seems to be within our grasp, I believe. Am I mixing my metaphors? But the... Uh, uh, being in the presence of, of uh, um, a person like you with your history, your life, um, it does give us a perspective that, that it's the long game. And like Dr. King said, uh, it tends towards justice. It arcs towards justice. And we want to sing a song for you. This is the Stop Shopping Choir. And this is our gratitude song for you today. To Michael Stephen Smith from the Stop Shopping Choir. Here comes. Shopping choir, gratitude. And now, extinction's got talent. Today's creature, the Atlantic humpback dolphin. The latest assessment of the Atlantic humpback dolphin 
reveals a new and mostly depressing reality. The obscure and poorly studied dolphin is now considered to be in great peril and has been uplisted from vulnerable to critically endangered. Growing up to two and a half meters in length, the Atlantic humpback dolphin is gray in color and has a characteristic hunk, hump just below its dorsal fin. These dolphins are shy, occur in small groups, and rarely venture more than a few kilometers from shore. They are highly susceptible to human activities in coastal waters, and threats include entanglement in fishing gear, offshore construction such as port development, and hunting for human consumption. Recent assessments suggest that the global population of the Atlantic humpback dolphin likely numbers fewer than 1,500 breeding adults distributed among several isolated subpopulations, most of which appear to be very small. The presumed range of the Atlantic humpback dolphin stretches more than 7,000 kilometers along the coastal areas of Western Sahara to central Angola. And now the sounds of the Atlantic humpback dolphin. Thank you so much for bringing us the intriguing song of the Atlantic humpbacked dolphin. We we are in a um, a, a special time now, but everyone's current moment is special in some way. We have listened to uh, a fascinating interview with Michael Stephen Smith, who um, gives us um, descriptions of, of peace activism across the arc of time. Um, going back 60 years in his descriptions of, of going really from the Vietnam peace movement, when, when, when there was a peace movement, all the way to the present, when... We, if you get a, a, a group of um, freedom fighters together, some progressive lefty people around a table, one of the laments is that there's, there is no binding, um, uh, overarching uh, theme that brings us together. We are, well, this is famous on the left, isn't it? We're off in isolated um, movements of our own, you know, from cruelty to animals to um, gentrification to there are just hundreds of issues, and they're all right. They're all they're all absolutely important. The same thing applies to the isolation of social movements in memory. Now, already, Occupy Wall Street um, is barely remembered. And that was just six years ago. Black Lives Matter. Standing Rock was, was just a little more than a year ago. It was still really active a year ago in the wintertime. Uh, but these 
are very recent and they are surrounded when they happen by militarized cops and then some another kind of surroundment takes place in our memory of them the gushing flow of high-speed information and the the facility of of media to corporate media to to just gush at us the the graphics and imagery and blockbusters and um, a thousand products bursting in our heads every day through advertising and and so forth and so on we 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 become um, we lose our best memories the the people who took those sacrifices in the 2600 tent cities of Occupy is a terribly important movement Black Lives Matter Standing Rock the Women's March we, we need to to make these things in a sense current a part of our present tense so the the plethora the the explosion of so many isolated issues and the way that social movements that are successful that for a moment do bring together many issues are are erased from our memory I'd like to talk about that here at the end of today's the earth wants you I'd like to start that by that process by playing a recording uh, the Fiery Eagles of Justice and myself issued this Christmas message. Some of you may have heard it. Let's hear that again. Killian? Earth is our government. Earth is our God. Earth is our economy. Earth is our church. We listen to Earth and then we go back to the old institutions. We go to the president and the generals and the holy fathers and the doctors of thinking and we get no response. Then we return to the Earth and await further instructions. We know that life itself is the best strategist. Earth speaks to us every day. The natural disasters are hard lessons. The silence of extinct life is a sorrowing Earth. What Earth knows is almost entirely unknown to us. The unknowable Earth is everything that we believe. It is all the commandments. It is common sense. It is where compassion comes from. We put personalities on Mount Olympus to represent it. We pray to the watery fire that creates a child inside our loved one. We dance all night. Now Earth is our only celebrity. Earth is the only famous being that matters at all. Human history was made triumphing over Earth. Now Earth makes history. Earthaluya, that was our Christmas message. Uh, the Fiery Eagles of Justice, my friends Jason Candler, Brendan Burke, and myself. Uh, and with the permission of the Church of Stop Shopping, we, we posted that 
um, at Christmas time. We make the statement that the earth is our government, our God, our economy, our culture, that our, the earth makes history. We just, we, just, we, just, we just go all the way over to the other side on the question of how, how powerful a presence earth is in our lives. It's life. And we believe that we have to remember this now. It's just, it's just what all earth cultures have always said. Uh, a little harder for uh, urban people like us to say it, but the reason we can say it now with some conviction is that when all of us inhale our last breath, then there is only, there's only one movement, there's only one issue, there's only one fact, and that is life itself. That's where we are right now. We are all critically endangered. And so, life itself is that, that binding, that, that overall theme, that belief that we can use to bring Occupy Wall Street, Black Lives Matter, Standing Rock, the Women's March, bring it right now into the present tense. And it's the thing we can do to go to all the disparate, separated, isolated, uh, progressive left campaigns and bring them right here, right here, because it's all, we're all together now. We all want to survive. We're inhaling our last breaths. And when we do that, we have, we have one belief in life. We are brothers and sisters. The thing that drives us forward is love. Let's work together. Let's sacrifice for each other. Let's be of service together. love hallelujah. love hallelujah. love hallelujah. Reverend Billy, I'm Savitri D. Thank you for listening. This is The Earth Wants You, a project of The Church of Stop Shopping. Please rate and review this podcast. Come back and listen again. Send it to your friends. We rely on word of mouth. The Earth Wants You is a project of The Church of Stop Shopping, a radical performance community based in New York City. We rely on you. Please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. If you want to support our work, and what is our work? We resist consumerism. We resist the military. We resist the commodification of the earth and her resources. Earthalooya people, join us. RevBilly.com.